Palm Sunday is a strange scene. And even if you know the story, you've heard it many, many, many times. We need a few reminders of the bigger context before we come to this table and receive communion, I think, to understand all that was going on in the moment. First of all, to, to give you the setting, there was a lot of religious energy that day, an unusual amount, like more than any other day of the week or any other week of the year, we might argue. It was the week of Passover. It's the beginning of the week of Passover. And that meant, like every year in Jerusalem, thousands of Jewish pilgrims from all across the world had gathered around Jerusalem for the Passover festival. But this year was different because this year there was this man, Jesus, who people were hearing about. People from outside of the Jerusalem region coming in were hearing about as they came to town. Have you heard about this newer guy on the scene, this Jesus? He speaks God's words with authority, not like our scribes, not like our priests. He does these healing signs, they say. And there were even these whispers that Jesus was the long-awaited king. That he was the king. So there wasn't just a lot of religious energy there was a lot of political energy because this was a conversation about a king. Remember, Jerusalem was the royal city, the royal city for the Jews. And as Jesus descended into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives at the beginning of Passover week, as we read, there were all these disciples, all these followers surrounding him, crying out the word, Hosanna. Actually, this is the only gospel that doesn't rec record that word. Matthew, Mark, and John do, though, of course, uh, Luke's account, the one that we read just before our confession text, records a lot of addition, additional things. What does Hosanna mean? It means save us, salvation. They're all surrounding this Jesus coming down the Mount of Olives, saying, save us, save us, save us. That's the kind of thing that you say to a king. You say, save us. You say, rescue us. That's a statement of political allegiance and trust. So it's no surprise that the Romans saw Jesus increasingly as a political threat in the same way that some of the Jewish leaders were seeing Jesus as a religious threat. So that's the scene. That's the scene we have to have in mind as we look at Palm Sunday. There's all this uncommon religious energy, all of this political energy. But here's the strange thing. Here's the really strange thing. With all this political and religious energy, there's also this thing in tension with that that doesn't make sense. It makes no ordinary sense. I don't know if it makes a whole lot more sense today than it did 2,000 years ago. It's that this king that all these people are surrounding, yelling, save us, is really, really, really humble. It says he's coming into town, like with all these palms, which were a sign of victory, all these people yelling, save us, he was coming into town on a colt. It's like this domestic farming animal. That's not how kings come into the royal city. How do kings come into the royal city? A stallion may be pulling a chariot. This king is really, really 
humble. And of course, him riding on a colt, that's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy from the book of Zechariah, chapter 9. But it's really a statement all its own. What kind of a king, particularly in that day, is humble? There are these two consecutive verses in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, the last book of our New Testament. In chapter 5, in verse 5... Uh, the Apostle John refers to Jesus as a lion. And in the very next verse, verse 6, he's referred to as a lamb. Jesus Christ is both a lion and a lamb. What's a lion? Well, a lion's fierce. You don't mess with the lion. The lion messes with you. It's majestic. It's king of the jungle. I don't know how long it's been, but uh, this is an old uh, science class example. If you want to imagine for a second, you know, the distance between the Earth and the Sun is something like 93, 95 million miles between the Earth and the Sun. Imagine that distance is a piece of paper, right? And uh, imagine then, if this is the distance, we're just changing the scale, this is the distance, this thin piece of paper, the distance between the earth and the sun, then think, what is the distance uh, from the earth to the next closest star? Actually, you've got to have a stack of paper that's about 70 feet high, a little higher than that ceiling. That's on scale, the distance between us and the next closest star. Star, And if you want to take our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, and do its diameter, it's something like 300 miles of stacked paper. And we are in a universe of like at least 200 billion galaxies. And in Hebrews chapter 1, we're told that Jesus Christ upholds all of that with his word, the word of his power. That is how you treat Jesus Christ. <laughs> and that's how you treat his words. He's a lion and then some. I mean, it's, it's almost a pitiful word, lion, compared to that. But he's also a lamb. What's a lamb? A lamb's meek. A lamb's a sacrifice. A lamb, in Jesus' case, lets himself be sacrificed for you. Jesus Christ is both. He's a lion and a lamb. If you want to know about Jesus Christ, he combines all these things that we usually think are totally incompatible, like a conquering king in humility, but not just that. It is there, infinite power in his case, and total humility, uncompromising justice, and inexhaustible mercy together. Sovereignty over everything and submission to a cross. It's all there. It's all happening on Palm Sunday. But as we read, I know it was a while ago in the service, as Mike read, in Luke 19, after all the praise is done on Palm Sunday, Jesus draws near the city. And what's the first thing he does after all the praise is done? Do you remember? He weeps. He weeps over Jerusalem after he enters to conquer it. 
And he says, Jerusalem, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. He's weeping because this city that he loves doesn't know the things that make for peace. What are these things that make for peace? I think to understand this, it's helpful to look at all the things that Christ has rejected throughout his ministry that do not make for peace. Stay with me now. Think about Jesus' life. Over and over and over again, Jesus rejected any way of leading, more than that, any way of relating to the world. Jesus rejected any way of relating to the world that was all lion and no lamb. Jesus rejected any way of relating to the world that was all lion and no lamb. Let me give you a summary. At the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus rejected the offer of the devil to worship him in order to get a place in government. Jesus rebuked James and John for wanting to call down fire from heaven to incinerate their enemies. Jesus ordered Peter to put up his sword. Jesus reassured Pilate that the governor's job was in no danger. He didn't want it. And finally, to make sure no one missed the point, Jesus arranged that his coronation as king would take place on a cross. Before I forget, that summary right there, that's from Eugene Peterson in his book, The Jesus Way. That's Jesus. He rejected every way of relating to the world that was all lion and no lamb. So let me close like this. Everybody that day was right to cry, save us. Save us, king. Everybody was right to cry, save us. Hosanna. But consider how different it would be to sing the same words at the foot of the cross as you're watching the king die. Save us. Save us. That's what he's doing there on the cross. Can we say the same words on both ends of the week? That's the Holy Week question on Palm Sunday and on Good Friday. Anyone, anyone would say, save us. Anyone would cry, save us to a lion. Who would cry out, save us to a lamb? It took the lion becoming a lamb to defeat our most powerful enemy and to grant us our greatest victory as our king. Christ took on human nature and became the first truly faithful human being. He loved God. He loved us perfectly, even though we and those nailing him to the cross were his enemies. He loved faithfully all the way to death. And the first totally faithful man in history broke death. That's what it took. A totally and completely faithful human being. This is how the curse of death was broken. And here's what that means. Let me try to bring that right down to where you're living today and to Mike's prayer at the beginning. The cross is God's biggest answer to all of the save us cries throughout history. 
He's got lots of other answers. He swoops in and saves. Sometimes. He's famous for doing that. Your Bible is full of instances of that happening. And yet, the cross is God's biggest answer to all of the save us cries throughout history. Saving us from our greatest enemy, sin, death, and eternal separation from him. It means that Christ alone offers the life that breaks the curse. It is broken, and yet it has to be accessed. We need to say, us too. Save us too. Brothers and sisters, where are you crying out, save me? Where are we crying out, save us? Two questions I'll leave you as you come to this table, if you're coming to this table today. First, however you're crying out, save us this morning. What does Christ's cross, what does the answer of Christ's cross have to do with that cry, save us? However you're experiencing it this morning. What does the cross, as God's answer to your cry, have to do with your pain? In one way or another, it is ultimately God's big answer to your cry. Salvation, ultimate deliverance, death itself put to death through the death of the faithful one, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I do not believe that is all, though. You know what the Apostle Paul says to anyone who would ever ask that question? What does the cross of Jesus have to do with my getting laid off, with me being scared on my block, with just being sad all the time, with the destruction in the news, natural disaster, human disasters? You know what the Apostle Paul's answer is to that all the time? If he didn't spare his own son, if he didn't do the biggest thing, how will he not also graciously give us all things in his way and in his time? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.